Hello and welcome to this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast, coming to you semi-live from the southeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Matt Adams. Joining me, my partner in crime, special correspondent, Ann Adams. Hello, everybody. We've got a jam-packed show. We're going to talk uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're going to cover some of the, the cool things that happened at the D23 Expo, the big Disney event this weekend. They announced some stuff for Disney+. Plus some of the Marvel stuff, and some things for Star Wars we'll talk about. Uh, we'll get to what are you reading, what are you writing, but first we must discuss the Howard the Dog crisis that has <laughs> really so taken a hold of the household over the last couple of days. <laughs> it's not a crisis as much as an anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've had rain here the past couple of days, which is fine. But uh, Howard doesn't like the rain, and so Howard has been neglecting his morning walk, right? Because when you yeah. get up in the morning, he doesn't want to go outside. He does not want to take a walk in the morning or late at night when it's been raining lately. And that's been going on for a couple of days straight, and he is just not a fan of water in general. Yeah, so we were starting to get a little bit concerned because uh, Howard's on a little bit of a schedule. Uh, when Ann gets up in the morning before she goes to work, she takes him for a walk, uh, one of his longer walks. He usually uses the bathroom, both uh, the you know, both ways. I'll just I'll say that <laughs> number one and number two. number one and number two, and he hasn't been doing that in the morning the past couple mornings because it's been raining really hard and you can't even get him to get out of the garage. No, I mean it's it's pretty bad. And even if we try to like cover him, he just doesn't even want to go anywhere it's wet. He doesn't yeah. walk on the wet sidewalk. He doesn't want to go in the grass. Like, he just, everybody's like, oh, just put an umbrella over him or cover He'll be fine. I'm like, nah, he's, he's not still going not going to want to go. So we've been setting up his uh, little potty areas in the house. But he's a really good dog. He doesn't go in the house unless he's stressed or, you know, really, really has to go. And it's an emergency, which happens when you have an older dog sometimes. But he's been really good about not going in the house. And if he has to go, he usually uses designated areas so he's a real champ with that we've not had a problem with that at all he's been as we mentioned before he's incredibly well trained but so it it did die down the 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 rain last night so i monday night so i took him out for his walk and we were out for about 15 or 20 minutes it was a very slow walk because he was very he just sort of lumbered very methodical he did not want to go too far or, or have anything to do with much of anything and, you know, there are a couple of times where he tried to go back home really early, and I just kind of like was, yeah, we can't. We got to get you out to use the bathroom. He did the number one, but he didn't do the number two. And so Monday morning, he didn't use the bathroom. Uh, Monday afternoon, he didn't do the number two. Tuesday morning, he didn't do the number two. And so when I got home from work today, I was afraid that he would have just finally had to go somewhere in the house. And when I got home, he had not. So it cleared up this afternoon. I was finally able to get him to go outside and take a good walk at a good pace, 20, 25 minutes. And he used the bathroom, so all is fine. We were just afraid that Howard was going to be stressed and that he was kind of this little ticking time bomb that you just didn't know when he was going to have to use the bathroom. Poor little guy. He was just, he, I just felt bad for him because you could tell he needed to go but he didn't want to go and it's just it's hard because you're like their parent and 
you know, you'd feel the same way if your kid was having a problem. But anyway, enough about bathroom stuff. Yeah, well, no, the, the Howard crisis is over. Yes, so. the Howard crisis is over. I'm sure people love hearing sure about the crisis of our yeah. animals every once in a while. And then Willie has been a basking <laughs> fool lately. He has, and he's been so sweet. He has been very, like, wanting a lot of attention from me. Like, the other night, he, like, just swam up, and he was just looking at me and swimming, and he's just kind of, like, trying to climb up, and so I picked him up and held him for a minute, and he just sat there, and he just loved every second of it, and then I put him back in the water, and he was fine. He just needed a little bit of mama love. He likes it when I feed him his crickets by hand, so I've been trying to do that sometimes at night. And we had also taken Howard to the daycare on Monday mm-hmm. uh, because he doesn't like storms, he doesn't like rain, so no. we were afraid that it might stress him out. So you thought it'd be better that he be around other people and some dogs, and the problem is he didn't eat. Maybe that's why he didn't feel the pressing need to use the restroom either. Uh, but I, I should have gotten Willie out of his tank yesterday. When Howard yeah. wasn't here. Well, I, I think have. I think Howard was a little bit more upset yesterday than he, or stressed out, I should say, than he was today. Today, he was a little bit more laid back. Like, I don't think, he didn't feel like it, anything was urgent. So, you know, they know. He's old enough that he knows what he's doing. Well, he was bobbing yes. and a weaving and a strutting his stuff afterwards <laughs> today. He was very proud doing the proud march yeah. that he does. And then we, uh, we cl- you... I shouldn't say we, you, cleaned Lenny's, our gecko's environment I yesterday. I did, and I will say that I don't know if it has to do with his age or the time of year, but he was actually a little vocal last night. Lenny was? Yeah, I he, picked him up and I held him, and he didn't seem agitated or anything. He just made like a little, like a little, I don't want to like embarrass myself and try and repeat the noise, but it was like a little, a little, almost like a tiny little, not like a screech or a scream, mm-hmm. but like a little clicky noise. Wow, I think I've heard Lenny make sound one time since we've had him. Yeah. And it was kind kind of a, it was, it like you said, it wasn't a screech, but it wasn't really a click. Mm-hmm. But it, it was kind of like a, I don't even know, it was like a little gecko cackle or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that's rare. He's like the quietest of the three of them. Yeah, and it's very rare, like, and he's really good with, he loves people. Like, he really doesn't mind us handling him or he likes to be close to people. He likes to, you know, run around on us. And um, he's just really a sweet, sweet little guy. But I think, too, I think he's also not used to having a dog around. I, and I think maybe yep. seeing the dog, I think that's why he makes some of the noises he does. A little but defensive, he you think? I don't know. Maybe. He doesn't seem, like, upset or agitated or anything. He just kind of... Every once in a while, like, when I hold him, he'll make, like, a little noise. Hmm. And uh, he doesn't, I don't know. You know, usually they make noises like that when they're upset or they're warding off a predator or something. But I've never heard him make a noise. So Yeah, just one yeah, time tw- I can remember yeah, him doing it. Once or twice. But, yeah, I was really surprised. It might have been. It was when I, and I petted him and he made a little noise. So maybe it was a noise of affection. I don't know. Well, they're all good little pets, and that pet segment dragged on a little bit too long, so we'll move on to one of our main topics of the show, and Anne and I did take in a movie this weekend. It's the first time that we've been to the movies in almost a month. Yeah, and we we took it in, man. We soaked it in. And we we had gift cards, so we didn't pay a dime for any of it. We had rewards points from our AMC Stubbs membership and everything, so it was great. 
And so that meant popcorn and yep. soda and uh, pretzel bites for us. And we went to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Quentin Tarantino movie. Before we get into the movie itself, and kind of what are your thoughts about Quentin Tarantino's movies just overall? I like Quentin Tarantino's movies. I mean, I think he's a genius as far as storytelling in a way that a lot of people don't. Like, he has a, a style. He does, and it's very, like, old-school um, Hollywood in a way that he... I would liken him to... And I think you'll probably laugh at this, but I think it's pretty... He's sort of like Cecil the Meal. In the way that he kind of tells the story, and his movies are always so, like... I mean, just like watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the detail mm-hmm. and the um, the elaborate storytelling that goes into before you actually even get to the main event. I mean, it's it's a it's like a feast for the eye in a way. There's like music and there's like you're just immersed in like with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you're immersed in a time period. And, you know, the clothes and the cars and like you're actually there like there's no... You feel like you time traveled there. There's no even hint that this was ever like a set or anything like that. And um, I just I really think he is a genius in that way. One thing I don't like about his movies (laughs) is that, you know, sometimes his movies are a little bit over the top in the way that they're very violent. I think the only movie that I didn't really have a problem with that was Kill Bill. Because that was very central to the plot because she was, you know, an assassin. But as far as like, oh my God, like some of the scenes from some of the other movies, I mean, whoa, like talk about over the top. And I mean, it could be anywhere from like 10 minutes to like an hour segment of nonstop fights and gore and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's essential to the movie. I mean, it's not... Some of the fighting and stuff is essential to the movie, but sometimes it's just like it takes it a bit far to the point where it's almost comical, right? Am I? No, no, you're you're right. I mean, sort of the the typical Tarantino film is sort of people in a room talking and then like some for awful like act two of... hours, and then the last forty minutes is like action. Yeah, and then just uh, just violence that like you can't believe that you're seeing um, on screen. Uh, do you have a favorite of his of his movies? This was, I guess, his ninth film. I think is he's always said uh, he said that he's going to do ten films, uh, and then he's going to call it after that. So this would be his ninth. So that would, if he goes by that, which maybe he will, maybe he won't. Uh, this would be you know his penultimate film, and he'd have one more left to go. But do you have any that that uh, you know a favorite or anything? I think I probably, out of the ones that I've seen, I really like Kill Bill, the Kill Bill series. Yeah, those are good. Those yeah. are really good. And I, I haven't seen his entire filmography. I have seen Reservoir Dogs, which is good. I've seen Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty good. I never saw Jackie Brown. Never have seen that one. Uh, I did see Death Proof, which was part of the Grindhouse double bill. Yeah. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, I know a lot of people love that one. Uh, Chris Waltz is really Christopher Waltz is really good in it. I just could not get into that. I, I you know, it's okay. Uh, Django Unchained, nah. again, eh, uh, for me. The Hateful Eight. I know it's got a lot of fans, but I also know oh, that friend yeah. of the show Dean Bankin watched it and he didn't like it. So 
you know, if, if your dad didn't really care for it too much, then I didn't have much interest. I, you know, maybe someday I'll turn that on. Uh, I do love Kurt Russell, and he does use Kurt Russell uh, from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I'd have to say, I mean, I, I do like the Kill Bill movies, and um, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are pretty good. Not exactly, you know, to me, Tarantino's a real uh, acquired taste, and I, I don't think there's a lot of middle ground on him. Well, you can say the same thing about Cecil B. DeMille. Well, yeah, you could. <laughs> um, I don't think there's a lot of middle ground. You pretty much either love it or you you don't yeah. like it. And, and if there are people out there that do not know who Cecil DeMille is, you need to look him up because he's a very famous director. He did some really amazing movies. And he did The Ten Commandments twice. Yes, he did The Ten Commandments. Um, he did... Uh, Ben-Hur? Who did Ben-Hur? And I know he did, we watched the um, Greatest Show on Earth. He did do that one. And I think he also did uh, the one with Gloria Swanson that was really famous. Yeah, no, I don't think he did Ben-Hur. Who did Ben-Hur? According to my friends on Google, it's a man by the name of William Wyler. Oh, yes, William Wyler. Okay. I don't know, maybe it was the Heston that made me think of that. And he did another, DeMille did another, did another biblical epic. Yeah, what was the other one that I'm thinking of? It wasn't Ben-Hur, it was, um... Uh, Google to the rescue, you see, we've done, <laughs> we've done yeah, uh, copious Google, research. Google is this week's non-sponsor sponsor. Yeah, non-sponsor sponsor. <laughs> well, Anne threw a curveball at me. I didn't expect us to be talking about Cecil B. DeMille. We were supposed to be talking about Quentin Tarantino. Oh. It says, let's see, are these directed films... Are these his direction, or are these producing? Okay, directed features. And the sound era, Samson and Delilah, is that what you're thinking of? Yes, that's probably the one. Greatest Show on Earth, The Ten Commandments, those are the ones that are probably the... Most famous. Most famous yeah. of him from the from the talk era. But, I mean, he was a guy who kind of did it his way. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how Tarantino is. And, like I said, kind of a, a love-it-or-hate-it type of, type of deal with him. Mm-hmm with his uh, movies and his movie style. And you know what you're going to get from a Tarantino movie? Like we said, you're going to get a lot of dialogue, you're going to get a lot of character work, and then you're going to get uh, intense amounts of violence at some point. Yeah, and, and, you know, sometimes with him, like, the story setup is always good. But then you always kind of wait to see that toward the end if it it pays off or not. Because sometimes it pays off, and other times, like, with, like, Django or The Hateful Eight, and for at least for us, did you watch the hateful really... eight with your dad? Or... Yeah, yeah, I watched okay. it. It was it that's was right, and, and neither of you cared for it too much. No, it was it was rather uh, it was a little violent. Yeah, <laughs> dad and I are not big violence. Like we'll t- we'll watch like a action movie or something. Well, there, there's but a we difference. We don't watch yeah. like just overkill type stuff. There's a difference between a two fisted guy jumping out of a plane with like the two guns and firing back at the bad guys. Yeah. There's a difference between that and then just like, Hey, here's a mallet. Let me hit someone in the face with (laughs) it. But we feel the same way about horror. Like we really like more intelligent, you know, psychological school horror and not like, you know, not necessarily psychological all the time, but like, you know, sometimes when you get the ones that are like the slasher movies and right, stuff, yeah. we don't really care for those because it's like there's no depth. Yeah, it's just blood for blood's sake. Exactly. You, you know, there's no, uh, sometimes there's no tension to it. It's just, hey, we're going to try and shock you by, 
you know, ripping a guy's jaw off or something like that. Oh, there's a good image for you, everybody. You're welcome. Yeah, and that's a good segue into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because there were some interesting. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep it scenes. a little non-spoilery, but we we do have oh to talk about God. the ending because it took a swerve. No, um, it didn't just take a swerve. It took a hairpin turn. Yeah, it, it, down, into the absurd. It, it took a hairpin turn down a mountain pass in Jerome, Arizona. That's what it did. Yeah. With just a tiny little toothpick fence for the to keep you from falling off a thousand foot drop. I mean, it was it was ridiculously insane. Now, what's great <laughs> but about it made this? Sense. <laughs> yeah, but what's great about this movie is, as Anne said, there's a lot of authenticity to the era. This is sort of the golden age, uh, the the tail end of the golden age of the Hollywood studio movies, and you know, Brad Pitt is the stunt man for. Leonardo DiCaprio's character, he plays Cliff Booth. Leonardo DiCaprio plays Rick Dalton, who was this TV star in the 50s, and he tried to break into film, and it really hasn't gone well for him. And he's sort of this troubled actor, and he's always trying to get roles, but mostly the only thing he can do anymore is be the guest star on TV shows and be the heavy. Mm -hmm. So he's always playing bad guys on TV, and then there's this producer played by Al Pacino who wants to send him over to Italy so that he can go make, you know, the spaghetti westerns. And he those those work very well for him overseas, uh, the, the Leonardo DiCaprio character. But and, and DiCaprio's great. A lot of times, Anne can tell you, I refer to him just as Leo. Yes, like your best friend. Uh, like he's my best friend. And it, it's funny because when Titanic came out in 1997, I never wanted to see anything from Leonardo DiCaprio ever again. Uh, because, you know, when you're in high school at that time and all the w girls are just swooning over him, you're just like, if I saw that little twerp on the street, I would punch him in the jaw. Oh, my gosh. I remember that. The 1990s were all about Luke Perry, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Joshua Jackson. One of those three does not appear in the movie, but two of them do appear yes. in the movie, actually. It's funny that you say that. Uh, but anyway, DiCaprio kind of, we've talked about this on the show. He did the beach, and then he just kind of went away for a few years. And he came back and he's had an incredible string of movies. I, I love him in The Departed. Uh, I'm not big on The Wolf of Wall Street. It, it's an okay movie, but he's good in it. But he's good in The Aviator. Um, he, you never saw The Revenant, I don't think. No, I did not. But it, it's a tough movie to watch, but he's, he's good in that. Um, I love him in Catch Me, as you, Catch Me If You Can. That, was, that one turned me over on DiCaprio when I saw that just because of the range and the fun that he has with that role probably didn't hurt that it had my boy Christopher Walken in it yeah uh but I, I watch just about anything with DiCaprio in it so he's he's the lead but to me I think the one that's the most fun is is the Brad Pitt character oh he was great and and so funny because he's sort of like in a way he's Brad Pitt playing Brad Pitt like he just I don't know he just is who he is, you know? It's just, he's such a fun character. But then again, Leo, I mean, he was great too, but he, you know, we talked about this before, he had to sort of play the the deeper character. Yeah, he had the heavy lifting yeah. part of things. Where, Whereas, where Brad yeah. Pitt could be sort of this breezy, carefree, kind of roguish type of character. And, it and I fine. loved his dog in the yeah, movie. Yeah, was it Brandy? Brandy, yes. Yes, she was precious. She's a pit bull. She was just, uh, she was really great. She was good. Yes, and it was a good, good little team up with them. And, you know, they did some interesting things, like they were talking about how he missed out on the, the Leonardo DiCaprio's character missed out on the role in The Great Escape, 
Yes. And they digitally inserted DiCaprio as Rick Dalton doing the scene, you know, where they're sending him off to the cooler and stuff. And it was really cool that they sort of force gumped that. Tarantino's not big. You know, he's more of a practical effects type of guy. Exactly. Like, they, they actually shut down a stretch of highway in Los Angeles for like two hours, like interstate highway stuff, so that they could get all these vintage cars on the road. So like one of those road scenes where they're on the freeway and it's all the vintage cars and stuff of the era, they actually shut down the interstate so they could get those shots. Wow. You know, you could easily do that and say, oh, here's the road where we want to go. We'll just CGI in the cars, but that's not really how Tarantino does things. So I was a little surprised for him to use that technology with Leonardo DiCaprio's character into The Great Escape, but it was a cool thing that, that they did. Then what I found interesting, and this movie does have sort of these... Um, separate, disparate plot lines that all just sort of fold together at the end. Sort of sort of like Pulp Fiction, except I think things play out a little more chronologically in this movie, whereas Pulp Fiction's kind of like all over the place. Uh, but they do all come together at the end. And this movie is a little bit different than Pulp Fiction because this movie is based sort of on actual events. Yes, true, That really true, true. happened, you know, with Sharon Tate and the Manson family in the summer of 69. So. And, and for a while in this movie, and, and again, we'll get to the ending, but for a while, you just kind of think that the Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth characters are uh, on the just sort of peripheral characters in this Manson family stuff that's going on, because we do see Charles Manson. He doesn't have a big role in this. Uh, we see several of his followers. They go out to this old movie studio ranch and... Uh, the Brad Pitt character does, and he meets up with a bunch of these people, and it's kind of creepy. They're just kind of very weird. weird. And it's very children of the corn. <laughs> it is. It's very much so. Very much so. And so it's of that era. And and Sharon Tate's in it. It's she's played by Margot Robbie. She Waste really, of talent. They really didn't do much with her. Yeah, that's um, sad. She, but then again, you know, no, no offense to the memory of Sharon Tate, but she really was, she was a good actress, but in most respects, she was eye candy. And so he was really, Marco Ro Robbie was really playing her for what she was. Well, I, mean, I was reading up on IMDb and they said that she did talk to Sharon Tate's family and got the blessing of her sister and her sister actually loaned her some jewelry and stuff oh, how nice. that belonged to her sister uh, to wear in the movie and, and kind of give it that authenticity. What, what I found odd was there is a scene where Sharon Tate goes to see the movie that she's in with Dean Martin. So it was great to see a little oh, Dino in there. But they used the real footage. But they used the real footage of Sharon Tate instead of, you know, doctoring it like they did with Leonardo DiCaprio. I thought that was interesting. Uh, it was kind of weird, mostly because they, they cut to the character of Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie, watching herself on the screen but then when she watches it on the screen, it's clearly a different person. Yeah, and it wouldn't be so bad because, like, in the wider shots, you can't really tell can't really too tell. much. Yeah, yeah. Because in the movie, she's, like, made up. Right, yeah. But um, when they close in, like, when they do, like, close-ups of the movie, and then they cut, like you said, from her to the Sharon Tate in the movie, you can definitely tell there's yeah. a difference. And, and I think I, I think I understand the reason for that. Sure. You know, I, I think it was just kind of a, a choice by... 
Quentin Tarantino to kind of honor It's an Sharon homage, yeah, yeah, to her in a way. But it's just interesting. They went through the, the expense of, maybe they just ran out of money, but they went through the expense of well, replacing Steve McQueen. And, then, and you, you know. also have to also remember, too, that Rick Dalton, in a way, is sort of like the farce of the movie. Yes, and that very true. You, you don't want to say they make fun of him, but he really is kind of like is, the yeah. dog that keeps getting kicked. Yeah, he so get kicked a lot in this it was movie. sort of like funny that he was like put in the Great Escape movie, and it's especially fun for people that have actually seen the Great Escape. And you see him, you can't help but laugh at you know to yourself, even if it's on the inside, because you're just like, God, what an idiot. Plus, you, you could also you could also make the argument, oh. you know, for the not doing the character swapping with Sharon Tate and and the Rick Dalton character is the the Great Escape stuff is sort of an imaginary thing. This is like this is what could have been, yes, you know, and they're putting him in the movie. Whereas the Sharon Tate that was it's an actual real. movie that that happened. So yes. you know, I can I I can justify it in my in my mind a little bit but uh he gets he gets hired to do this uh this show called lancer and he's playing this heavy you know like this bad guy character and they're like we're gonna we're gonna give him the hippie jacket and the hippie hair and oh he does not like he does not like that he does not like the hippies at all funny that's like a theme of the movie and it especially, it works well in tandem with the Manson family because, of course, that's what they. It's a hippie yeah, commune in yeah. a way. And um, before anybody knew what it really was, they just thought it was a big hippie commune commune out at Spawn Ranch. And um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of funny that he's like Leonardo DiCaprio's character is like so against hippies in this movie. And he every moment he can, he always goes. Those damn hippies, or <laughs> why do they always make us look like hippies? Like, or someone's always, like you said, trying to put him in like something that makes him look like a hippie. Yeah, he had a clear distaste for that type of person, and so when that director told him they wanted to give him like oh, a hippie jacket funny. and a hippie hair His face, you could tell it was kind of a mixed reaction. Like, I really want the work and the money, but at the same time, do I want to like right? Do I have like to come down to this level? Yeah, and then I guess that episode. Uh, because he and he and Brad Pitt sat down one night and watched that episode of FBI that he coast or um, yeah. that he was in. They did the same thing that they did with the Great Escape stuff. They just inserted the yes. the Leonardo DiCaprio's character into that footage and took out the original actor, which is intriguing. So they sort of just sort of reshot and instead of reshooting it, they just put him into that that episode so it was a great. real episode and everything so that's so great that that was neat there's some neat stuff on, i l- looked at the imdb the other night which is usually a sign that i really enjoyed a movie because i want to know you know little factoids and trivia things about it so uh, i certainly did enjoy it and a little bit and sometimes this happens with a tarantino movie could have probably used a little bit of editing just because yeah. uh, it was about with credits, it's two hours and 40 minutes, I think, or 2.45, something like that. It wasn't as painful as some of his other movies, because you sort of get immersed. Yeah. But, you know, oh, it can get... Some of his movies are so painful. But it, it could... There, it could have used editing. Plots, there are some parts, I think, where they could have trimmed a little bit. No, I know they did trim some stuff out, because, like, Tim Roth, I think that's the actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he appears in a lot of Tarantino stuff. His role was cut from this film. And he just has a because Tarantino has a bunch of people that just kind of typically appear in his movies. He he was one of those guys. Michael Madsen made a real quick appearance in this movie, um, but I, I guess Tim Roth's part got cut. So there's there's some cuts and stuff like that. 
Um, if you're watching a Tarantino movie, you know you're going to get a lot of homages to other things and a lot of references. And he said that this is kind of his most personal film because it reflects a lot of what he remembers growing up in, mm -hmm. in Hollywood and stuff like that. And I can definitely see that from the movie. We did see our boy Robert Goulet. They had a oh clip of him gosh, on the TV. Yes! And like you said, it was kind of sad that he wasn't singing another song, one of his better ones. No, had to but, be MacArthur, stinking MacArthur Park. But at MacArthur the same time... MacArthur Park <laughs> is melting in the dark, the sweet green icing flowing down. Oh, gosh, it's such a terrible song. <laughs> and so Goulet's in there, which is good, but they had Goulet singing that song, which is of the air and everything. Yes, it's the right time period and everything, but still. Could have picked anything else. Literally any other song for <laughs> Goulet. That would have been fine. But it's still great. I'm glad to see Goulet because a lot of people just... We, we have talked about on the show, I have a sort of a special affinity for Robert Goulet. I think he was super talented. He was a charismatic and just a nice dude. And I don't think a lot of people remember how talented he was. Yeah. The only thing people remember him for is Camelot. Yeah. That's all they ever remember him for. And the, and the Emerald Nuts commercials. <laughs> and, and the Emerald Nuts. <laughs> but that's it. Like, because um, when he died, I remember I had mentioned it to one of my coworkers. And I said, oh, did you see that Robert Goulet died? And they were like, who? And I said, the singer. And they were like, who? And I said, uh, this, he was famous in the 50s and 60s. And they're like, no. He was the bad guy in Naked Gun 2 and a I half. I know, and I, I started doing that. I was Beetlejuice. Like, he was in Beetlejuice. Yes, or I would I told him uh, Camelot, and they're like, no. And finally I said, the Emerald Nuts guy, and they go, oh, the Emerald Nuts guy? <laughs> like, yeah, him. <laughs> Will Ferrell did a very bad impression of him, but yes. it was really funny. Oh, my God, it was really funny. And so it was nice to, to see Goulet in there. Uh, the music, the soundtrack was really good. Oh, it was great. Um, the old cars were really neat. Uh, I liked the house that Rick Dalton lived in and then the poor trailer that Cliff Booth lived in. Um, yeah, no, it's just really an interesting movie. I, I do not, it's not for everybody. No. And that's, you know, if you're bored by, like, lots of dialogue, you're not going to enjoy the first 75% of the movie. And then if you don't like gratuitous violence, you're not going to like the last 10% of the movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it wasn't even like, I wouldn't even say it was like 10%. I'd say it was more like 1%. Because it, it was this it brief was very, blast of just unbelievable yes, violence. like the very, very end. And so, anyway, did you have anything to, else you wanted to say about the movie before we, we'll get to, we'll give you a spoiler warning and get into the ending here in just I a second? I think I'm good. Good, but yeah. overall, I mean, did you 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 enjoyed it? Didn't I you? liked it. I I had wanted to see it. I think you were surprised that I had wanted. to I see it. I was very surprised. I thought I was going to have to wait for a Blu-ray because I just oh, didn't think you'd want to yeah. go see it. I mean, I like Tarantino, and you know, if I see, you know, there's some movies that he does that I'm like, eh, I, I could live without it. You know, when I see the trailer, but this movie really intrigued me. I was really kind of, I, but I like those time period pieces that he does. Well, and to have Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie together. That's a great cast. I mean, I was watching that and I was having shades of they should do an Ocean's 14 and put DiCaprio in it with Clooney and all those that other guys. Amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to get into spoilers real quick for the ending. And if you haven't seen the movie, I, I would have you just go ahead and fast forward past this because if you know anything, you go into this and you, you think this, 
in a mil the middle movie, so you, you think that Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth are sort of in this middle of this thing that's going to happen with the Mansons, and they're just going to be sort of characters on the peripheral per periphery of, of what's going to happen with the Mansons. And as it turns out, they get involved elbow deep in it. Um, so this is your last spoiler warning. That's a little bit of a spoiler in itself, but now we're really going to talk about the ending. So they, they have the Manson people, and they are all going to the house to kill Sharon Tate. They, they're and told... We, and we probably should preface that Rick Dalton lives on Cielo Drive right, in right Hollywood next to, next to where Roman Polanski, Polanski yeah. and uh, his wife Sharon Tate have bought a house. Right. And so um, he's had a he, Rick Dalton, has had a particularly bad night. <laughs> Are you going to talk about the margarita? The margarita. <laughs> yes. He okay. makes this big pic picture of margaritas. He's in his bathrobe. Bathrobe, and it's not even like a full bathrobe. It's no. like one of those that goes down to like your hips almost. Yes, and you can see his underwear. Yeah. He's in and, his underwear. And he's he just and he's got a porn stash. Yeah, he's got a porn stash. His hair's a little <laughs> longish. He looks like he's having a pretty bad day. Anyway, these, these people from the Manson family come up because they've been under orders to go and scope out the Sharon Tate house and basically a friend of theirs used to live there uh, and then they got mad at him and they were the followers of Manson were told to go and kill anybody that was in the house and that's what sparked the the Sharon Tate murders and I'm right about that yes aren't I so anyway they go to do this but their car is like really loud and backfiring and Rick Dalton is ticked off. So he runs out with his porn stash and his half bathrobe and his underwear and his giant freaking picture <laughs> of margaritas and goes and tells the hippies off. Oh, he's, yeah. You know, he's like, this is a private drive. You hippies need to get out of here. Don't smoke. Go find somewhere else to smoke your dope and get high. You're not going to do it here. And that really I mean, he's letting off. the expletives fly. Uh, he's letting the expletives fly. <laughs> and he is like, and then at one point, he takes a big, big old <laughs> giant margarita. Oh, my God. It's amazing. He's so great. And in the meantime, you know, the Mansons, I mean, they're cocked and ready to just. Yeah, they're good. the one guy's got the gun on his side. Then he kind of puts it down and they back off and then they come back. And in history, as it would go, they go over to Sharon Tate's house, they kill the people that are there. But this is an alternate history of how this Which all you played find out. out. Which you find out. You think, oh, this is going to be like you said, you know, the, Rick Dalton's on the peripheral of this thing that happened in 1969. And really, you see like this swing, like you said, swing of the pendulum. And it's yep. an alternate history. And so, because Rick Dalton yelled at those people with his porn stash and his half bathrobe and his giant pitcher <laughs> of margarita, they just decide they're going to go over to his house and cause some trouble. And so, at this point, is he? He's on his pool at he's that point, a, right? He's in his pool, yeah, uh, with his giant pitcher of margaritas, <laughs> and he's listening to rehearsal tapes. That's right, with, with headphones on, and he's sitting in like this pool chair, uh, this pool, floating... pool floaty with a little place yes. to like, put your drink. Yes, and it's so great. And uh, but Cliff Booth had left the house, and so he missed the hippies the first time, and came because he went to take brandy out for a while and he was smoking the acid Smoke, cigarette smoking the acid cigarette he, that had, he had bought, bought this acid cigarette from a hippie on hollywood boulevard for like 50 cents and he'd been saving it for like a special occasion and he decided that that tonight was the night because uh rick had decided that he could no longer afford to pay cliff for his services because 
Cliff drove them around, did all this stuff. So for it was them. sort of their last night. Together. Their last time to, yeah. to to hang out. So they went. They got ripped, and uh, th- so <laughs> he took his dog out for a walk. Decided to try the the acid cigarette. Comes back. He's all you know. He's seeing <laughs> he's seeing colors in the walls and, and oh, everything. Yeah. And then the Manson family shows up at Rick Dog's like, house. Bust in the door. Bust in. The guy's got a gun. He's pointing it at Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, they get into this Mexican standoff, but Brad Pitt doesn't have a real gun. He's just pointing his finger at him. <laughs> and it's it's great because his dog is really well-trained, Brandy. And you just see him do this subtle little motion when these people come in because her first instinct... Is to attack him. Is them. to attack him and, and defend her 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 buddy, to, to defend Cliff. And he just kind of makes this little hand gesture... And she sits down and sort of calms down a little bit. And he starts talking to these Manson people and stuff. And they start threatening him and everything. And they recognize him from when he went out to the ranch. Right. He had gone out to the ranch and earlier. And he had caused some trouble at the ranch. Trouble. So yeah. I think this was an excellent payback for yeah. him. Yep. And so, anyway, then he gestures for the dog to go on the attack. Oh, and my God. the dog goes crazy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, Brandy's the hero of the story here. She, she She's amazing. She mauls two of them, doesn't she? She does. She does. And then, and then, things get really, I mean, Cliff, like, he's, like, headbanging these people. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, gosh. Throwing oh. their faces into phones, throwing their faces into the wall, throwing their faces onto the fireplace. I mean, their faces are, like, smashed in. Yeah, the one, the one lady insane. is just, like, her face is mush by the time he's done, and she's clearly And the gone. one little annoying one with the knife, <laughs> she, remember, didn't he, like, throw her through the plate glass window? I think, yeah, uh, yeah, out yeah. into the pool. Into the pool. Into and the that, pool. that wakes up or, or disturbs Leonardo DiCaprio's and he, character. And she's, like, in the pool, and she's, like, screaming, because she's, like, her face is covered in blood, and she's all covered in blood, and she just will not shut up. Yeah, and he's, and he's had he's it. freaking out. He's freaking out. He's like, what the fuck? You know, what are you doing in here? And, and, uh, and then... And then he goes to this tool shed, and as soon as he went to the tool <laughs> shed, I knew exactly what was going to happen there, because they set it up in a couple of scenes... He was in this movie, 14 Fists of something. Uh, 14 Fists of McCluskey. And and in this movie, he wore oh, an eye patch, and he went and he fried a bunch of Nazis with a flamethrower. <laughs> and they showed another scene in this movie in which he is practicing with the flamethrower, training for the flamethrower for the movie, and he's like, can we make it less hot? And the guy's like, no. It's a flamethrower. <laughs> and so anyway, when he gets out of the pool... He goes to this tool shed, this, like, outbuilding. Honestly, I thought he was going to run and just hide. Oh, really? Or do some... Yeah, I didn't think that he was going to go into the pool shed and grab the <laughs> flamethrower. Flame Apparently, they gave him a flamethrower to bring home with him to practice. And he has this in his <laughs> pool shed. Oh, my God. And he goes and he just incinerates this woman's he body. Just, I know! And everybody in the theater, if they're not laughing, they were absolutely in shock. Like, what is going it, it, on? It was... The, the violence that plays out in that about five-minute scene insane. is shocking. It was insane. Uh, it's shocking because, first of all, you expected the Manson people to go over to the Sharon Tate house because yes. that's how history played out. You didn't think that the Dalton stuff was going to really play into that. But then you think about it. Well, yeah, they're the main characters of the movie. They should probably play some role in this. And then just the amount of gratuitously bloody, <laughs> awful violence that plays out. But it's it's so violent that it's almost cartoonishly funny. 
in a way because and maybe that's just because it's so uncomfortable that you have no option other than to laugh oh we were dying uh we were and we, we kind of <laughs> ann and i were joking we were kind of in an oceans 12 what we call the oceans 12 situation we've, we've had that many times um we've we've mentioned this before on the podcast we went to see oceans 12 and I, it's probably of the three oceans movies the the one that is universally least liked now i like them all just about the same and when we went to see Ocean's 12, we, we, because we loved Ocean's 11, we went to see Ocean's 12 together. I think we were still dating at that point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because I think Ocean's 13 came out in 2007, so this would have been before then. And we sat in that theater and we laughed at almost everything in that movie, but no one else in that theater laughed. Yeah, we were the only anything. ones that laughed. It was very awkward. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was sort of the same situation in which we laughed at quite a few things that happened in the movie, but nobody else, it didn't get much of a reaction from the other people in the movie theater. So we call that the Ocean's 12 situation when that (laughs) happens to us in the movie theater. It doesn't happen often, but it it happens often enough that we have a name for the syndrome, I guess. But yeah, when he comes out with that flamethrower. Oh my gosh. you, You cannot... You cannot believe what's happening. And then, you know, later the police show up and uh, there's a conversation that they have, you know, and <laughs> like, how many did you kill? And like, oh, the dog got two. I fried one of them. And <laughs> darn hippies. And then Sharon asked, you know, Sharon Tate was on the intercom when they were talking at the gate. And he said, she asked uh, Rick Dalton, she's like, oh, is everyone okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're 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 fine. Uh, hippies are dead. <laughs> hippies aren't. <laughs> the hippies aren't. But it was great. Um. So yeah, that that last ten minutes of that movie is just yeah n- not what you expect. Um. Now during during the ruckus with the, the the Manson people who do show up, Brad Pitt's character does get shot, but. We find and out in the end. Stabbed or, in the leg. I'm sorry, he gets stabbed. He gets stabbed in the leg um, by the by the one girl that he smashes yeah, her face yeah. into the phone, and then the fireplace, and then the <laughs> and wall, then, and then the and, wall. And, yeah, <laughs> uh, pretty much anywhere a wow. face could be smashed, he smashes it. Uh, he goes to the hospital, but it turns out he's okay because they, they, they had carted one person out of the house, and you're kind of afraid maybe that was him. But then you see him later in the ambulance, and uh, he takes off, and then he's fine at the end of the movie. So. I, I was afraid. One of my most disappointing things was in the movie that we went to see a few years ago, Burn After Reading, that oh, he was in. Yeah. He was kind of a cool character, kind of a neat character. Yeah. And then he just sort of suddenly just dies, and you don't expect it, and it's meant to be shocking it's and everything. dumb. But I, I never really liked that part, and I don't like that movie because of that decision. And so I was afraid they are going to kind of do the same thing to him yeah. in this movie, uh, even though he was heroic in, in his way here at the end. But... I mean, goodness, when he unleashed that dog, just this whole string of things. Once the Manson people show up at Rick Dalton's house, and then there's, like, the Italian wife who doesn't speak English very well, (laughs) and she has no idea what's going on. She's, like, yelling at him in Italian. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, (laughs) But, no, I mean, if you like Tarantino movies, it's a through-and-through Tarantino movie. As long as you can stomach what, I, I mean, it's almost cartoonishly, gratuitously violent there in that little yeah. in that span the confrontation at the end if you can stomach that and and the language omg the language in that movie yeah it's pretty i'm a little desensitized to it but th- i did notice that they were just sort of just casually throwing the f word out there all the time but you get that in tarantino movies so any final thoughts there on once upon a time in hollywood <laughs> Anne? 
Uh, just that I think people should see it. It's pretty good. I, I liked it. I thought it was good. And if you're prepared to sit through a three-hour movie, then it's not half bad. If you like Tarantino. Do you think friend of the show Dean Bankin would like it more than he liked The Hateful Eight? I think he will. I think he will like it more. We'll, we'll move on from, from that. That's Like I said, I, I looked at our history on AMC, on our app, and we hadn't seen a movie since late July. <gasps> wow. So it, that's been a while. That's got to be a record for us. You know, we, we go to movies frequently. But again, it's that slow time. I mean, you, you get such good movies from April to about the end of July, and then... You know, it, we didn't have necessarily a problem picking what we wanted to go see. There are a couple things out there. We hadn't seen Hobbs and Shaw yet, the Fast and Furious movie. We'd like to see that. This one, I was, again, surprised that you wanted to go see. I didn't think that you had. I didn't have, like, this I have to go see it thing. But I'm like, if we want to go see a movie, I'll go see this one. And I didn't know that you would even have that inclination. So I'm glad that we did. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I would like to watch it maybe one more time just to see Leonardo DiCaprio with the flamethrower because it was pretty it was pretty fun. Yeah. All right, we're gonna move on to some some quick hitters on the Disney 23, the D23 Expo that they had for fans, where they announced some stuff, and uh, we'll start off with uh, it's been rumored for a long time there was gonna be an Obi Wan Kenobi movie like a just like the Solo movie only it was gonna be about Obi Wan Kenobi. And then they kind of canceled that. I mean, I think they had a director lined up and everything that they they had it in development. And then uh, Solo didn't do so well, and so Disney decided. In the Last Jedi reaction, people were kind of yeah. not happy. It was very divisive, so they kind of backed off their Solo projects, and no pun intended, uh, their, their <laughs> spinoff stories. Even though Rogue One was real successful, Solo kind of tanked. Even though it was good, it was fine. It was a good movie. I enjoyed it. And so... There have been rumors, though, all the time that Ewan McGregor is going to come back and play Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's just been this rumor. It's going to be a movie, and then it was going to be a trilogy of movies, and then it was going to be a Disney Plus series. And, you know, Ewan McGregor has been asked probably a million times over the past couple of years if he would like to be back as Obi-Wan Kenobi or if he's got a deal in the works, and he just can't talk about it. He's like, I love the character. I'd love to come back. I don't know if they'd have me back. And, of course, you're Ewan McGregor. They're going to have you back. <laughs> And so they did announce that. They brought him out on the stage, and awesome. they're going to have an Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, TV show on the Disney Plus streaming service that is going to start sucking our money away in November. And, uh, I mean, wh- what do you think? I know. I asked you if we were getting that, and you sheepishly looked and was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we pay we pay for Hulu, as it is, six bucks. And then Disney's, Disney Plus is, I think, $7 a month. Like they are, under, they're undercutting that. They're they're going to try to kill Netflix, is what they're going to try to do, I think, and or force Netflix to do better quality programming. And not that they have bad quality programming, oh, but not you know at they got they got to match them and they got to bring that price down. And that's just going to. I mean, Disney's got deep pockets. I know Netflix does too, but I mean, this is like, this is like the the second era of the great streaming war will begin mm-hmm. once Disney enters the fray. But anyway, uh, we pay for Hulu. It's six bucks a month. We don't really use it all that much. And I was actually going to cancel it, but we watch it just enough to justify that five or six bucks a month on it. Disney Plus, I think six ninety nine, seven dollars a month. But they're doing a bundle deal where you get Hulu, Disney Plus, and the ESPN Plus service for thirteen dollars a month. So we would be getting Disney Plus anyway. We've already got Hulu, and then we can add the ESPN Plus to that and pay what we would pay if we had Disney Plus and Hulu separately. 
So, I mean, that's a cable deal kind of bundle thing that they're going to try to get you on, and that price won't last forever, but it'll be good while it, while it does. Uh, what what do you expect we'll see from an Obi-Wan Kenobi show? you have any kind of theories on what, what they would do no, that about? I mean, it's been so long since they first started batting that idea around, and it's going to probably go, now that so many years have passed, I mean, technically in the movies, you can get away with just about anything. Yeah. But given, you know, Ewan McGregor's age and stuff, they're going to have to find a way to fit him in to the timeline. And I'm guessing that we're probably going to have, um, it's probably going to be about his time on Tatooine, but at the same time, we may or may not see young Luke. We may just follow him on his adventures. Cause I'm sure he still has some sort of contact with, um, the he, he's been in contact with Bail Organa. Yeah, exactly. You know, we know that so from he, Rogue he's One. He's been up to something all those years on Tatooine. So, and you know, there's a couple things, a couple ways they could do. Uh, one would be there was a good book uh, about Kenobi and his. It's a Legends book now. It's no longer canon, so they can do whatever they want. But you know, it's kind of like Marauders coming to this town in Tatooine, and nobody's there to defend the town's people, and Obi Wan, who's been trying to stay in hiding and stay sure. out of stuff feels the obligation to, to help. They could do a story kind of like that. Um, and, of course, they've got a, a TV show. They could do all kinds of... They could do a few different story arcs within the, you know, single season. I always wondered, you know, when he says, you know, when last we met, I was but the learner, now I am the master, you know, I, I don't... I guess that could, that could definitely refer to their fight in Revenge of the Sith... But then also later in the, the movies, you know, Vader says Obi-Wan once thought as you did to Luke as far as turning Vader back to the light side. So do you, do you wonder if you'll have a confrontation somehow between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader? It's possible. Um, not, you know, that would take place not too long after Revenge of the Sith, so that there's still that big time period in between. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff they can do. I know the fans, a lot of fans say that, you know, Ewan McGregor's the best part of the Star Wars prequel movies. You know, consistently in all three of them, he's really good. And he plays uh, Obi-Wan so well. Yes. And he does it really, um, he does so well. He, he really, he made it his own, but in a way he honored... Um, Elm Guinness so well yeah, in that he was just able to kind of capture his essence and the the best parts that he brought to the original Hello trilogy. There. That's, that's yeah, the one I always like, remember. Or my favorite from uh, Ewan McGregor was, another happy landing. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> it's just a very, yeah, it's just, it's he just does it so well. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he's coming back for Me sure. Too. And, you know, I think Disney will have really good programming on Disney Plus. We won't know. We'd have to pick. We're gonna have to pick what we want to watch because, oh my gosh, there's just so much to watch on that show on those on that channel. Well, and they're just... they're they're not taking from the Netflix model. Uh, they did say at least, and I don't know if this is gonna be on a show by show basis or whatever. But with the Mandalorian, when it comes out, it's gonna be weekly. So however okay. episodes eight to ten episodes or whatever, you know, they're not gonna drop them all in the first week of release. It's going to be a weekly release, so you'll have okay. the episode, and it'll be episodic, so that from week to week you can, you know, watch a new episode. 
Okay. Um, Hulu sort of does a model sort of like that. I think they drop, like, when they have a new series and a new season, I think they drop three or four episodes. That's true, yes. And then they start doing one at a time mm-hmm. until they hit the, the series end. So they're going to do that. We, we had heard a lot about The Mandalorian from Star Wars Celebration and from Comic-Con. There was some footage that leaked here and there, but we hadn't seen anything official from yeah, Star there were a Wars lot of fan-made trailers because a lot of people were looking forward to it. And we finally see the official stuff. Um, according to some of the people who were at like Star Wars Celebration and Comic-Con and saw some of the, the footage, they said that they, they had a feeling that part of the reason they didn't put it out publicly, like on the internet, officially anyway, you know, someone always manages to sneak a phone in now nowadays, somehow, even though they have security checks and all that stuff. But they said that a lot of the, it didn't look, not that the show didn't look good, but the effects didn't look good mm. because uh, the film hadn't been graded, the special effects were unfinished and stuff like that. And they said there was a major, just a light year leap in between what they saw before and then what they saw during the D23 presentation because everything's pretty much finished now mm-hmm. as far as the special effects and stuff go. And they said it looks really good. Uh, it looks, it feels like they're pretty much getting the feel of the Moss Eisley Cantina scenes and anything to do with the bounty hunters in the Star Wars trilogy, and that's kind of what this series is. And Pedro Pascal is playing the Mandalorian. Uh, we saw Werner Herzog in there. I think he plays an ex-Imperial. We saw Giancarlo Esposito, I think mm-hmm. is that that's the right guy's name. I know him as, as Gus from Breaking Bad. And um, he plays an ex-imperial. He's in that as well. And so we see a, a, a droid, an assassin droid. Looks like IG-88, but apparently the, it's named IG-11. And the Mandalorian, I mean, let's face it, looks like Boba Fett. So I, I don't. I, I, it looks really good. I have no idea what the plot is or anything like that, but we'll find that out once. But the thing that amazed me probably about the trailer... And, of course, we know that Disney has sunk a lot of money into the Disney Plus stuff, but it's movie quality. It is. The you effects. would think that it was an actual movie coming out in a theater. Yeah. It's great. And I have a lot of confidence in this because John Favreau is overseeing it. Uh, Dave Filoni's doing some episodes. Taika Waititi's doing some stuff with it. Uh, they've got a great cast of directors and stuff that are Mm -hmm. doing the writing and all this stuff so i I have a lot of high hopes for the mandalorian what what, what did you think of it when you saw the the trailer it looks interesting and it would be kind of cool to kind of uh kind of dive into that part of star wars that we don't always get to really follow you know from the point of view of like kind of the common people the bounty hunters and some of the other people that you see like in the bars and Everything like that. And this does take place in that era in between the end of Return of the Jedi Mm -hmm. and the beginning of The Force Awakens, which, as far as canon goes right now, there's not a lot of material that covers that era. So there, there, there are some books and stuff, and probably some comics that cover some of it. But it's a, it's a pretty, wi- it's a wide open playground for stuff that you want to do. Mm. So that'd be interesting. Uh, also on Disney Plus, they did talk a little bit about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which, as I understand, it's going to be the first Disney Plus Marvel show, but it's not going to debut until next year. Um, Sebastian Stan's got a haircut for that one. Ooh. He's kind of got the short hair that he had in Captain America: The First Avenger. 
we do know that Baron Zemo is going to be back in that. Zemo will be in, in that. And then they announced that Sharon Carter will be in that show. I like her. Emily Van Camp, I think, is the actress's name. And then they're going to have somebody in there playing John Walker, who is U.S. Who is US agent, who is sort of an alternate Captain America who kind of works for the government and stuff. And I don't know if he's going to be super soldierish or if they're just kind of... Sometimes in the, Mar- in the MCU stuff, they sort of take a character from the comic books and they sort of do something a little bit different with them that's similar to what it was in the comics, yet different. So I don't know what they'll do with U.S. Agent. Uh, they did talk a little bit more about WandaVision, which I still think a lot of people are having trouble getting a handle on that <laughs> handle on that uh, title. Oh, it's just, I don't know. It makes it sound like uh, we're seeing things through Wanda's eyes. Well, I WandaVision. Mean, I, I, you know, and they say that it has a sitcom type of feel to it. Oh, geez. I don't know if I can deal with that. And, <sighs> and a promotional image that they showed for that had Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany and like Paul Bettany's in like a cardigan. Oh my you know, God, it looks no. like they're in the 60s. So, like, who's the boss? Well, <laughs> no, like, I mean, like, like, 60s, like Dick Van Dyke show. Oh, wow. Type, type stuff. That should be interesting. And uh, what's interesting, though, is they made a couple announcements about that show, and Kat Denning is going to be in it. So, oh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see Did Darcy back. Darcy, I love Darcy. Mew, and, mew. Mew, mew. And then Randall Park, who played Agent Jimmy Woo in Ant-Man and the Wasp. He was a very underrated character yeah. in that movie. I thought he was I solid. I thought he was wonderful. I loved him in, in how he was... Um, That'll be interesting. I don't know if that's going to be one we'll probably stick with, but we can at least give it we'll a try it a and see what we think. Their relationship... I, I love both of those actors, but their relationship... It, it's good, and it works for you know the Marvel Universe, but at the same time, it's just so angsty, and I just can't... It's It sort of reminds me of... This is so bad, but oh it reminds me of Anakin Skywalker and Padme. Oh, man. Ouch. Oh, Ouch. It's just, I don't know, in a way. I mean, they're not as bad as them, but I just can't... Ugh. It's one of those things where, like, if, if these series are really going to have an impact on the movies... If Disney Plus had launched a few years ago and they were able to squeeze the show in between that time between Civil War and Infinity War to develop, because their relationship plays a big part in Infinity War, doesn't play that big of a role in Endgame because they're not in Endgame really that much, except she's got the big scene and, you know, you took everything from me and I don't even know who you are. You will, you know. It would have helped, I think, for that relationship to have gotten a little more weight Mm-hmm. If they had had this show in between those two movies. Maybe they're going to go back. And it could be. I don't know. I mean, who knows what's going on with Vision. He's a robot or an android. He could be recreated. Shuri, when she was trying to remove the Mind Stone at the end of Infinity War, could have made a copy or some sort of implant of his of his mind. And since he is a synthetic being, they could presumably sort of reprogram him. I don't know. Plus, Wanda's got her powers from the Mind Stone, mm-hmm. so maybe she can jumpstart him. I, I don't know. I mean, those are kind of the questions that we'll see answered in WandaVision. Um, they've got the Loki show coming out, and they didn't really have a whole lot to say about that one, except it's about Loki, and he's got the Tesseract, and he's going to be mischievous and It sort stuff. of picks up from that alternate reality yes. where he escapes yeah. in... In, from game. Endgame. Okay. And so it's the Loki who is not... I mean, I will say by the beginning of Infinity War, Loki will always be Loki, but he is 
evolved as a character. He's changed because he's not a guy that you would expect to make, we always say it, the sacrifice play. Self-preservation is very important to Loki. But by the time Infinity War comes around and he knows what Thanos is, he tries to make things right. And if anything, for his brother, who is really his only living family left. Right. And so he does make that change. But what's interesting about the Loki character is this is Loki directly post-Avengers. That's when yes. he gets the Tesseract. It's an alternate spinoff universe. So um, that'll be fun because I think that's where Tom Hiddleston has the most fun is where he can be just a little bit evil with Loki. Of course, he's a little bit evil in Thor Ragnarok from time to time, too. <laughs> But he gets it together. They showed some footage from the What If show, which is an animated series of, hey, if you were just to change one thing in this MCU movie, then this is what would have happened. And in this particular clip that they showed, uh, they gave the super soldier serum to Peggy Carter. So instead of Captain America being Captain America, she's like Captain Carter. And instead of the, the red, white, and blue shield of Captain America, she's got the Union Jack on a shield. Oh, that's cool. So, and they're going to have little stories like that. Uh, just sort of, what if you change one thing about one MCU movie, this is what could have happened. So that's interesting. And then they made three things that surprised me. They made three announcements about upcoming MCU Disney plus shows. Uh, they announced a moon Knight show, a Ms. Marvel show and a she Hulk show. And uh, I was wondering, do you know, are you familiar with any of those characters? Well, I think, isn't Moon Knight, like, a Batman sort of character? He is. A lot of people call him the, the Batman of the Marvel Universe, mostly because he has a persona that he's, like, a rich guy, mm. and then he fights crime at night in a cape. So a lot of people <laughs> equate that nice. to, to Batman. Um, it's a very convoluted story. Moon Knight's uh, mercenary, uh, Mark Spector, I think's his name. Yep, Mark Spector. And he gets killed on this mission where he's the, the mercenary and he realizes these people are, are being mistreated or something along those lines. So he has a change of heart, but then the bad guys kill him. And then these villagers, this happens in Egypt, so these villagers then take him and put him before the, the moon god Khonshu. And he's resurrected uh, by Khonshu as long as he will be Khonshu's avatar... Um, against evil or whatever Kanshu wants to do on Earth. Interesting. So that's where he gets the, the Moon Knight powers. A little bit more uh, complex than Batman. <laughs> A little bit more. And he's got some superpowers because of the the god stuff. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then he's got a couple different personas. Um, he's got his Mark Spector persona. He's also got like a, a rich guy persona who's rich and, you know, sort of the Bruce Wayne type person with the man about town and then he's got another it's not really a personality i guess but he also pretends sometimes to be a cab driver so he's got ground level intelligence from people mm. about like what's going on around town and stuff like that but he juggles those three personas plus moon knight and sometimes he gets a little tweaked upstairs because of that wow uh my biggest i've read a couple of moon knight comic books mostly because i really liked the design of the character in the marvel ultimate alliance video game that I played back when I first got my Xbox 360. I thought it was really cool. And so I learned a little bit about Moon Knight, and that's that's the extent of my knowledge of Moon Knight. Ms. Marvel's Kamala Khan. 
she is a hero who has a lot of different abilities and she has been inspired by Captain Marvel and that's why she takes the moniker Ms. Marvel. She's been a very prominent and very popular character the last probably three or four years and so it'd be interesting to see. There's been a lot of demand for her to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, just because, you know, it's, it's a female, it's, it's a woman um, that little girls can look up to because she's like a teenager. So you're, you're getting a nice age demographic there. She brings some diversity into it because she's, she's a Muslim, which is uncommon in any real media for somebody to be heroic and to be Muslim. So there's, there are a lot of people who are very excited about Kamala Khan coming into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wonder how that's all going to work, though, because as the MCU stands right now, Captain Marvel really wasn't a thing on Earth. Yeah. So it could be possible that um, this was a girl who grew up after the snap in that five-year period where Captain Marvel's a little bit more prominent. and Or could they have her growing up on another world where Captain Marvel uh, came and because she has been traveling and helping other... Could be and decides she wants to go check out her home planet. You know, that's, that's not a bad way to do that and, and kind of cover up that not really plot hole, but the traditional thing is everybody knows Captain Marvel's on Earth and everything, and so that's why she's inspired to become a hero. Um, so that's that's interesting. Then She-Hulk, they're going to do a She-Hulk show, um, and that is a relative of Bruce Banner's, I believe, cousin. I think I'm not going to I'm not going to Google it. I'm just going to pretend that's right. <laughs> uh, she's in an accident at some point. She gets she needs a blood transfusion. The only type that matches is Banner's. So when she gets a transfusion, she gets some of that incredible hawk radiated blood Does she know that she's getting it i'm not sure i don't okay. remember um and so then she's you know she's basically a female version of the incredible hawk uh tall strong uh but she's more of a professor hawk type like we saw in Endgame. okay uh, where she has her her mental faculties and stuff that's good intact she's got control of the the beast within or whatever you want to say and she's an attorney she represents kate and she tries cases as a, as a lawyer. So uh, uh, the pitch that I've heard from a lot of people is sort of an Ally McBeal only with She-Hulk. <laughs> nice. Which would be an interesting show. Yeah. I, I didn't know those three were coming. I figured they would have more MCU uh, shows on Disney+, Plus, but those were not three that I, I think I would have thought that we had coming. I don't think they talked much about the Hawkeye series. If they did, I mean, it's still happening and everything but I didn't re recall seeing any additional news about that. We, we won't get into it too much, uh, but I guess Sony and Marvel are having a little problem getting They're a new a deal for Spider-Man. Oh my gosh. And so it's possible that we may not have Tom Holland in... Uh, we'll still have Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but it's possible we may not have Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe anymore. Oh, that stinks. It does stink. Uh, corporate synergy is... Sometimes hard to hard to swallow, mm. um, or when it when it breaks down, uh, I you know, Sony got a sweet deal out of this. They got to make MCU movies and reap ninety five percent of the profits from it, and Marvel Studios did all the all the work. Sony put up the money for the financing and stuff like that, but Marvel, you know. They directed the create. They they were in charge of the creative direction, and Feige was the producer on these things. 
And so you got actual Spider-Man Marvel quality stuff right. that Sony had been lacking. Right. But of course, Sony reaped the profits. And because of that, they're going to try and take Spider-Man yeah. back, which I think is BS. But what really, the, the thing that bothers me or that I don't like. Well, and this would never happen if Stan Lee was still alive. Oh, yeah, ways. it would. They don't care. They don't no, care anything about Stanley. Stanley Stan would have fought it, I think, a little bit more if he was I, still alive. I don't think it would have made, made any difference anyway how Stanley, what Stanley thought. Sony's going to do what Sony's going to do, and Disney's going to do what Disney's going to do. Now, the funny thing is, is Sony or is Disney the bad guy here? Uh, you could look at it both ways because what Disney was saying is this deal is coming to an end. They wanted to co-finance those movies with Sony. So they wanted to co-finance it so that they paid kind of 50-50 to make the movie. And then they mm -hmm. would both split the proceeds from the movie. Sony didn't like that because they were making 95% the receipts from the movie. Yeah. And I can understand that. Sony feels like they can make a crappy Spider-Man movie, make $800 million with it worldwide, not have to give any of that money over to Marvel, and they make more money... Whereas if they made a, a movie with Disney and Marvel and split the pro proceeds, even if that movie made $1.5 billion, that's still they'd still have to give half of that to Disney, and then they'd take half, and they think they could get more money out of their standalone movies without the MCU stuff. But it, it stinks from a fan's perspective because Spider-Man's integrated so well into the MCU and I don't, I don't know. Maybe they'll be able to figure something out. Hopefully. I hope so. Because I, I just, you know, they build him up as a very prominent character, and then all of a sudden it's just not going to be there anymore. You know, Disney's going to do what Disney's going to do, and Marvel and Disney, they've done a great job with stuff. So try not to doubt them. Uh, they did have some Marvel Studios and some Star Wars stuff uh, during D23. Uh, Black Panther's going to get a sequel. Duh. Ryland Coogler's going to direct it. Duh. <laughs> it's going to be out in 2022. And it's getting a May release slot, which is big because, you know, the first Black Panther came out in February when they did it. So it's getting a sequel uh, 2022 for that. Uh, they did show some Black Widow footage. David Harbour is in that movie. You know, old, the old sheriff from Stranger Things. Hopper is going to be in that movie. Rachel Weiss is in that movie. And uh, I, I'm excited for that. Jon Snow, Kit Harington. <laughs> will be joining the Eternals movie. Oh, wow. The one that we hardly know anything about. That we hardly know anything about. And it's funny because two of the kings of the North, kings in the North, are in that movie because Richard Madden's in that movie as well. So we got a couple Game of Thrones guys there. And then probably for me, the big thing from the movie presentation was the new footage from The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, oh. We watched the trailer before we started to do the podcast. First minute of it's kind of just recap of... The old movies, uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith, and The Force Awakens, and The Last Jedi. And then they sort of jump into sort of the new footage from Rise of Skywalker. Any thoughts on what we saw there? Anything stand out in those shots? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, the fact that she was fighting Kylo Ren on the remnants of the Death Star... And then, of course, you know, the one that everybody's talking about, which is the scene of evil Dark Ray. You like her Samsung Galaxy Fold lightsaber? <laughs> it is pretty cool. It looks like one of those, um, like a sling blade almost. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like a, like almost like a lightning rod blade. I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it, it's really cool. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on there. I don't know if that's a vision 
I wonder if future, it's a vision. A clone. There's all kinds of theories. Or it could be uh, who she was in a past life. You never know. Ray may be a clone of a Prominent, a, a uh, Sith. powerful Sith or something. Yeah, you never know. But, of course, we do hear the Emperor talk before that. Uh, mm-hmm. and then they show that shot. We hear Vader's breathing as well. Kind of hard to tell what location she's in. Did you catch C-3PO with the red eyes? Yeah! Like with the with the killer, the yeah. killer eyes? Like, what, did, he, did he activate instant kill? Like, Spidey, <laughs> that was my first thought. Instant kill! Well, and it's, it's funny because remember uh, a couple months ago we had the podcast where they had that, that poster that had gotten leaked out from The Rise of Skywalker yes. and it had that shot of C-3PO holding a bowcaster. Mm-hmm. And we're like, is this real? Is it not? You had the alien that didn't that looked completely out of place. And now C-3PO's got red eyes, and we know that he had the bowcaster. So I don't know if he took some self-defense classes or, or what. I know. Apparently he's some sort of uh, weaponized C-3PO. Uh, the coolest shot for me in that trailer was with the, the planet. I don't know what planet it was, but they kind of had a blue atmosphere and some lightning. And it was just that just a bunch of star destroyers. Oh yeah, that was cool. And to me they looked like they were old school imperial class star destroyers. I don't think they were the first order star destroyers. So I don't know if that's remnants of the empire if those are just old ships that they had lying around. We got 150 star destroyers lying around or what, but I love that shot of all of those star destroyers. I love I love the Imperial Star Destroyer. It's one of my favorite vehicles in Star Wars. And, I mean, they've, they've done some cool things. Factor but yeah, for a lot of people. And then they had some old school ships, too, in the Resistance side. They had an X-Wing, which is a newer X-Wing. But they also had a B-Wing. And we only see these in silhouette, by the way. You don't really get a good yeah. look at them. But the A-Wing was in there. I'm pretty sure I saw a Y-Wing in there. I think I saw a B-Wing. And then there was a Blockade Runner, too. Uh, the, like, the Blockade Runner's the the ship at the very beginning of the Star Wars that's being chased by the yes. Star Destroyer. And that'd be cool if that was actually Princess Leia's Corvette cruiser, um, you know, that that she's on at the beginning of Star Wars or the end of Rogue One, whichever you want. And we got to see a, a, a scene of Carrie Fisher. Oh. And I, I mean, I was watching a comparison video today from our, our boy Mr. Sunday Movies, our favorite Australian... I love him uh, so our favorite much. Favorite Australian uh, podcaster, and he did a side by side or an overlay shot, and it looked like that that shot was a shot from The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. and but they had changed the lighting, they had changed her hair, and they had changed her outfit, because the hair looks like her hair looked in mm. the Last Jedi. She's wearing a different outfit, and because she's in a different location you know somehow they melded all that footage together and we you know they said they weren't going to recreate her performance with computers but we didn't rule out that they would have to do some digital trickery to make it all work or use a body double for like cutaway shots or something like that uh but i mean it just it looked seamless it looked like that shot was shot for that really well done so i am so excited and interested and intrigued to see how that all works with carrie fisher uh, probably my one disappointment, we did not get another shot of Lando. Yeah, I did. I mean, you got an old school shot of him at the beginning. Yeah. When they did like the old original, ser- you know, original footage. But yeah, we didn't get another shot of Lando. I would have liked to see that too. I was kind of hoping 
that that would be the case. But. Well, I think we'll probably get uh, because that movie's out in December, so it's it's actually not too far away, honestly. <laughs> but I think they'll probably have another trailer out either late September or early October uh, for it, and I would expect that we'll see a little bit more Lando because really all we've seen of him is like a shot of him in the Millennium Falcon cockpit from that first trailer. Just kind of like, yeah, you know, Lando's in the cockpit, (laughs) you know. And again, I don't expect Billy D. Williams to be running around gunning down stormtroopers or anything like that. No, but even if he just makes an appearance and he's just Lando, I mean, just his Lando self, it would be worth it. I, I am. And he seemed to be, he talked to Star Wars Celebration. He was really excited to be back. And he's one of the, you know... Sort of the Star Wars actors sort of come in two types. One is the, this is just a job. I did it the one time. I don't understand why you people keep bothering me, Harrison Ford. And then you've got your Mark Hamill's and your Billy Dee Williams's who embrace the fan base. Oh, and Carrie Fisher always did, too, when she was still living. I mean, she kind of had a bit of a love-hate relationship. Yeah, it could be overwhelming sure. at times. But really, she saw herself as Princess Leia, and Princess Leia is her. It was I mean, very it was important role, for her to carry that yes, standard. it was a role that she knew people, women looked up to, little girls looked up to, and she also knew that it was important to people. It was one that had been kind of, you know, 20-some-odd years, 20, 30 years, she had embodied that character for people. But, so. I mean, Billy Dee Williams has voiced Lando for some Star Wars video games. He reprised the role in Star Wars Rebels. And when we saw him at uh, Celebration... When you saw yes, him. Yes, when I saw him, um, he was definitely uh, really just living the dream. He really... You're right. He really does enjoy being Lando. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff uh, at D23. It was nice of them to release some of the footage. <laughs> I get to hold that over your head for the rest of my life that I got to see Billy D. Williams. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Continue. I also got to see Peter Mayhew. Oh, oh, yeah, and I also got to see the guy that played Darth Vader. And that is all. Hi. I got a demonstration for some Star Wars-themed clips speakers. <laughs> hey, it's your fault. You and Brian went off somewhere else, and you made us stand in line to get Brian's poster signed. Yeah, So we there. Did. We should have stood in line. You stood, should have stood in line for two and a half hours. Yeah, that would have been a good use of time. <laughs> All right. Uh, it is time for our favorite segment. We just got to wait for the jingle. What are you reading? What are you writing? What are you writing or reading today? And what you didn't see is that I just did jazz hands in the background. We both did. <laughs> so, Anne, what are you reading? What are you writing? What are you listening to, watching? Tell me about your life. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even know about my life. Well, Matt's been working the early shift, so I've been really wore out lately. So I haven't really been doing a lot of writing. I need to get back into the writing swing of things. I haven't decided if I'm going to keep working on my novel or if I am going to uh, continue some fan fiction I've been writing. But um, I do need to get back into the writing game. I haven't really done anything, uh, especially with Howard, you know, around so he's, he's just, cute, he's but just he's so a cute. time vacuum. He's just so cute and he's cuddly. And anytime he looks at me, it's like, mom, will you play with me? I'm like, oh, of course I will play with you, baby. So, um, yes. And then, um, as far as watching goes, I'm still watching uh, queer eye on Netflix. We talked about mm-hmm. how much we liked that, yeah, show, that show compared to the old one. Um, I've been rewatching uh, Longmire on Netflix. Just as something to watch. You said at Howard night. liked Longmire. Howard does. 
just like Longmire. Um, so we've been watching that together at night when dad's gone to bed. And um, yeah, so we've just been kind of hanging out. We've also been watching some British TV. And um, does he like that too? He does. He, does likes... he like it as much as Willie does. Um, I think he likes it a little bit more than Willie really? does. Wow. Willie Willie kind of likes British TV, but he uh, he prefers other things. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, Howard he really likes the Midsummer Murders. He likes that show. Um, so. But as far as uh, reading or listening goes, of course, I listen to audiobooks. Um, lately, I've been kind of on a Dennis Lehane kick. I, I really, really love uh, his Patrick Kenzie uh, mystery novels. Um, so I've been continuing those. Um, I'm reading right now. I'm reading Praying for the Rain uh, by Dennis Lehane. And uh, it's pretty good. I'm enjoying that. The next one that I will be reading is... Um, a Given Day, um, also by Dennis Lehane. And it's basically about uh, three generations of a family that lives in Boston. So, And there's, is there crime? I believe there is crime involved. So Probably. <laughs> but yeah, I like Patrick Kenzie. He's, he's really good. He's just kind of like a private eye. And um, he lives in Boston, so he's got a little bit of a... He's from Southie. He's like one of those... Oh boy. Good old good old boys from Boston. So you, you keep talking about this. So I'm gonna make you watch The Departed with oh, me again. Oh, I can't. I can't. Ugh. From Southie. Oh, I can't. I can't do it. But yeah. So there. So that's what I'm doing. That is my life. Well, we we kind of skipped a podcast last week. I don't think we really meant to. It just kind of happened. We were busy. We had some things happen last week. Uh, we needed to take your car in. It had to have brakes replaced and the garage door oh, broke. the garage door saga. Um, and I, 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 I like the 4 a.m. to noon shift but, and that used to be my old shift and I, I worked it all the time and I'm doing this for two weeks doing that shift when I've been working 7 to 3 for a long time uh, because my co-worker is uh, one of my co-workers is on her honeymoon and that's the shift that she works. we got to have somebody replace that shift. So I've been doing the shift. The first week of that was tough. It was. Uh, because, uh, you know, the thing that stinks, by the time I get used to this, and I'm already used to it now, it's Tuesday. You're back in And I, I'm back in the swing. By the time I'm back in the swing, then it's going to be time to go back to my, my old shift. But that that's fine. With the, the garage door and Howard and the car, we just kind of just were kind of exhausted and just couldn't quite fit but we made up for it i think in yeah. many ways tonight so. yeah no we we're having a good good solid podcast so far at least it feels like it <laughs> so matt tell me about your life so anyway the reason that i was prefacing it with we didn't do a podcast last week is because it can sound like i have done all these things i finished the book alphabet squadron that i had been reading yeah how was it uh it was excellent great star wars book highly recommend it uh, as i said in the last podcast that we did a couple weeks ago if you like the X-Wing books or Wraith Squadron, it's it's right up there with those. Had it had a neat ending. I think they're going to bring the characters back and do some uh, continue uh, the story and I'm I'm all for that. So Awesome. It was neat. Again, it's it's a it's a unit that has like a B-wing and a Y-wing and an A-wing and an X-wing and a U-wing in it and it's just kind of this ragtag bunch of people that shouldn't work together, but you know, somehow it all works out. And the main pilot's an ex-imperial. Nobody uh, in this book, at least, completely trust her because they 
always think that she might be a plant or, uh, you know, might be trying to help the Imperials. Gotcha. It was really good. Now, immediately after that, I read a, a book called Bad Blood uh, by John Carreyrou. Carreyrou? I, I, sorry, I've completely... <laughs> uh, Looks like Carreyrou to me. Completely butchered that name. But it's it's about Theranos, which is the, was this, like, tech darling for a long time. But it th- this woman, Elizabeth Holmes, and raised a bunch of money, and a bunch of capital, got a lot of, like, vice... Uh, venture capitalists and stuff to invest in this machine that was supposed to be able to take a prick of your finger and then you're supposed to be able to put that into the machine. It was supposed to be able to analyze your blood almost instantaneously and help diagnose any problems with your blood, uh, with your body, you know, help detect early diseases and detect cancer and oh, stuff like yeah. that. Isn't that the one that is supposedly got a documentary about There's it? There's a documentary on HBO oh, okay. called The Inventor, and I want you to watch it with cool. me. Cool. Uh, just to learn about how crazy this whole thing is. She does not like needles. That's like her one huh. weakness, I guess. And so she wanted to have a way for people to be able to draw blood that would be less intrusive than that. And like, especially for people who have to have a lot of testing and stuff done, or sure. the cancer patients, you know, having those veins, just uh, having to have blood taken and stuff from that all the time for tests and stuff is just murder. Uh, sometimes veins collapse, they get hard to, you know, draw blood from and stuff yeah. like that. So it really felt like this magical solution. Uh, but there was just one problem with it, and that it didn't work at all. Um, but this woman just sort of lived in this Steve Jobs uh, alternate uh, reality. She she saw herself as like mm-hmm. a female Steve Jobs, and he was known for what was called the reality distortion field, uh, where you would look at the sky and you would say it was blue, and Steve Jobs would be like, "No, it's orange," and uh, you can't change my mind about that. And then eventually he says the sky is orange enough times that even though you know deep down that the sky is blue, you start saying, oh, yeah, the sky is orange. Um, And she sort of had that same type of deal uh, where she just insisted that this thing was going to work. And um, it's it. This book was incredible um, how this all played out Hmm. and the different people that were involved and. My goodness, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting story. And, and then the author is a guy who was a reporter and had found out a bunch of stuff about this and broke broke the story that pretty much broke their backs mm. uh, because they found out this was a fraud. I mean, they had deals with Walgreens oh, wow. to, to put clinics in Walgreens where people could go and get their blood tested from these machines. And these machines were supposed to do like two or 300 different blood tests. The thing is... There are all kinds of different protocols for blood tests and how they work. And sometimes certain tests require a certain amount of blood and they need more blood than you can get out of a finger prick. Yeah. And so, you know, but their whole thing was this is easy. You just get your finger prick, but then people would show up because they did set up these clinics in Arizona on a trial basis with Walgreens. Then people would show up and they advertise this as easy and expensive. You have a menu of tests that you could pick from and they're inexpensive trying to take basically they were taking a, a a blood test lab you know if you have a blood test it gets sent off to a lab and they send the results back they were basically trying to put the lab in a box but it didn't work at all and so they had all these tests that they could do but then these people would show up think they were just going to get a finger prick because the device didn't work 
they would end up getting a regular old blood test and then shipping that off to their lab where they thought it was being uh, analyzed by these special machines that they had made, but a lot of them were just actually commercial Siemens machines that all the big mm. labs use. And it, so it was just a big fraud, and it just collapsed from out from... It is a fascinating story. You know, I like this tech yeah. stuff anyway. Um, but it, it's like, what what if Apple had sucked is pretty much what this you know what if it was a big fraud and nothing worked yeah uh, but people kept giving them money somehow and like there's this one guy um and i his name escapes me but his 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 grandfather uh is a former former he was really powerful i can't remember his name and he was an investor in this place but this guy his grandson ran all these numbers and they're just nothing was working out as far as like quality control and failure rate and stuff. And this grandson tried to convince his grandfather that this whole thing was a fraud. And his grandfather didn't believe him because of this sort of this spell of charisma that this Elizabeth Holmes woman had spun around him. And, you know, they, they basically sicked a bunch of lawyers on this kid and said, you know, you have to sign this non-disclosure agreement. You can't talk about this you know, or we will sue you and stuff like that. And his grandfather sided with the lawyers. Wow. Because just was mystified by this this woman and this product and this hope for this product. But again, nothing worked like it was supposed to. And yeah, it's a fascinating story. So we'll have to watch that documentary. It's called The Inventor on HBO. I don't think it's necessarily based on the book. But I can't imagine this guy that wrote the book. I, they've got to talk to him because he plays a pivotal part in once his story went out, then that was pretty much the end of Theranos, which is a uh, combination of therapy and diagnosis. Interesting. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Makes people think of Thanos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they got Thanos. You get me. I'm sorry. I love that line. <laughs> and then, so I finished that book, and then currently I am reading. We've had a resurgence of John Dillinger here in Indianapolis because there's been a push to exhume his body because there are some family members who don't believe that John Dillinger was actually killed in Chicago uh, back in the 30s, that somebody else was killed back in 1934, and there's this whole hollow blue over this. And so I got a book about Dillinger, and it's called uh, Public Enemy is America's Greatest Crime Wave and the Birth of the FBI from 1933 to 1934 by Brian Burrow. And it tells the story of, you know, like Babyface Nelson and Bonnie and Clyde and Machine Gun Kelly and John Dillinger and how these, like, criminals really got the, in the Depression era, got the attention of the federal government and... Uh, became so bold and so violent that they had to get the, the what was only then known as the Bureau of Investigation involved and really helped to to form what turned into the modern Federal Bureau of Investigation under J. Edgar Hoover. And so I don't know how far I am into that book. It's a I think it's a pretty long read. Um, I always watch the little, on my Kindle anyway, when in the app, I always look at how long, how many minutes are left in the chapter. And like in 
the Star Wars book, for example, when you go to the next chapter, it's like 20 minutes left in the chapter. Mm. So you're like, oh, I can I can do 20 minutes. Whenever I finish a chapter in this book and go into the next chapter, it's like 45 minutes for this <laughs> next chapter. So it takes it takes a little bit longer to read, but it's really interesting stuff. Um, the Dillinger stuff's interesting, and, and just the whole, you know, uh, the FBI was pretty incompetent in the early stages of the Bureau and J. Edgar Hoover took it over, and he wanted a certain type of agent. And, you know, then they finally started. They didn't even have guns, mm. you know, when they started off. They made a lot of mistakes. They let a lot of people get away. But they they learned from those things. And But it's that, it's that big crime wave that happened between all these people back in the 30s that really galvanized what is now the modern FBI with these bank robberies and interstate commerce and all that stuff. So yeah. that's really interesting. As far as what I'm watching, I, I, I didn't know if you would like the show or not. I knew you said that you would watch it with me, but I watched The Boys, mm-hmm. the Amazon Prime show. How was it? Uh, it was good, but I don't know that you would have liked it. Okay. I mean, we, we can try and watch... I will take your word for it. Uh, we can try and watch a, an episode or two, uh, but it's pretty messed up. Uh, there's a lot of violence oh. in it. It's a good show, though, and I mean, Carl Urban... Is the best. Carl Urban's the best, and that man can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. I'm just not sure. I mean, it's it's like a dark superhero show. Like, if, mm. if the Avengers all had mental problems and went on power trips and ruled gotcha. the world, this is kind of how things would be. Uh, the acting's great. The production values are insane. The special effects look terrific. And again, it's got Carl Urban, but I'm not sure that you would have liked it. Mm. And I don't know that I can give it a sterling recommendation for anybody who likes superheroes. Because yeah. it's, it's kind of a tough watch at times. Because these, these heroes are, again, they're, they're, they're sort of they're mentally disturbed. They're not right in the head. They've started to think themselves to be above the law and above humanity. And it's kind of an arms race as well. Because if we had superheroes in real life, there would be no doubt that they would be privatized, correct? That they would be corporate entities oh, yeah. who would be carefully managed by companies and owned by companies. And so that's what happened with all these superheroes. They have uh, the Seven, which is really a takeoff, I think, of the Justice League because there's usually like seven main Justice League people and there's like an Aquaman type character and there's like a Batman type of character and there's like a Superman type of character but they're all and there's a Wonder Woman type of character but they're all terrible people there's an invisible man and they all have you know quirks and they they do they're supposed to be these heroes but they do bad things and they lie and then it's hyper violent there's some some sexual stuff that I'm not real keen on yet I watched all six episodes or all all the uh, six or eight episodes and, wow. and did enjoy it. But I, again, I, it's a tough, it's going to be a tough watch for a lot of people. It's like if you were to take the end of that Tarantino movie and <laughs> put it into a constant eight hour wow. superhero show. Wow. So, uh, but, but I did enjoy it and I'm looking forward to the second season and I will definitely watch it, but I'm not, I mean, like I said, we can give the pilot a watch or something and see if you like it and I'll watch it again. But I just, I had a few, I didn't know. I don't know. You'd have to, you'd have to tell me what you think. I think, to, to watch it. And then the other thing, just kind of wanted to mention, I watched a movie the other night called Bone Tomahawk. I was wondering if you were going to mention it. It was interesting. With with Kurt Russell and Richard Jenkins and Patrick Wilson uh, were all in that movie. And it was, it's, what's weird about it, Anne, is that the first hour and a half of that movie is just a typical Western. 
Um, you got a, you got the sheriff in the town. He's got his deputy and his backup deputy. And a drifter comes into town. Doesn't do what the sheriff says. Gets shot in the leg. So they call the town doctor. The town doctor treats the drifter. And then somebody comes and kidnaps the town doctor and the drifter. And so these guy, the sheriff and his posse, you know, set off to go find these people. And um, spoiler, I'm not, yeah, spoiler. It's not really a spoiler. They're cannibals. They go and the people that have abducted the the people are cannibals. And so Anne came in. Are they in, like Native Americans or are they just cannibals? They're cannibals. They do sort of address that because the you mentioned Longmire earlier and one of our favorite characters in Longmire was Matthias. Yes. The the sheriff of the reservation, the sheriff on the res, right? Mhm. And anyway, that actor makes a cameo in this movie because they compare these people to, you know, Native Americans, Indians and and he says these are not. They may look like Indians to you guys. Yeah. But these are not. Okay, I these didn't know if that had people. been addressed or not because I mean, I was only like vaguely watching it. You were already watching it when I got home. Yeah. But I didn't know if they had addressed that or not cuz you couldn't really tell because I mean, they were sort of, you know, they're scantily dressed. Yes. But they're dark-skinned. You just can't tell what, you know, I th- what I they think are they didn't really they, they didn't really get into the whole background mm-hmm. of them and their origins and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it, it was weird. It was, it was a bizarre movie, but I actually kind of liked it. It had Kurt Russell in it. Like I said, I, I, I do have a, an affinity for Kurt Russell. He was really good in it. And unfortunately, and I was trying to get it finished before Anne got home. And the reason being because a buddy of mine at work loaned it to me. And he had told me there were a couple of really rough scenes especially toward the end of the movie. And so I was trying to get it finished before you got home, but I got delayed or something and couldn't get it finished. So Anne got to, came home right about the time <laughs> that they cut a man in half. Oh yeah. They like, were cutting him up. Like they were, they were quartering him yep, like a, yep. like a pig. He was being drawn and quartered right when Anne got home. And I thought, that's wonderful. That's what you. That's that's what you want to see, right? When you that's got home. That's what you want to see after you've worked at a cemetery all day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you stayed and you watched the the end. The I last did. It was actually so, it was it pretty was interesting. Pretty interesting. So. But yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I guess the guy that uh, did the movie went on to do a couple others. One with Vince Vaughn, the name that escapes me, where there's like a prison fight or something and then he did another one with Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson called Dried Across Concrete which I guess is hyper violent as well but the funny thing about Bone Tomahawk is it's really not a violent movie yeah, but it's, it's very it's real life situation type of movie and it's not gratuitous either mm-hmm. like I mean they did cut the guy in half but I mean they could it's, have done they could have done close ups yeah. entrails big it's, it's a rea- pools of it's blood. based in reality and it is gruesome but it's nothing over the top yeah it's not like they really enjoyed the parts that were some movies relish in that yeah. in, in the violence like the flame throwing scene and like from... the flame throwing scene <laughs> in Once Upon a Time which in was total overkill which was awesome but overkill and still gruesome but they didn't seem to revel in the the violence of that at the end uh but it was pretty pretty gross they had that guy that was cut in half and then they kind of cut open part of kurt russell's character oh yeah uh and he 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 doesn't make make it 
on that one. But I was really surprised by it. It's like I said, it's pretty much just starts off with a typical Western and then sort of takes a little bit of a swerve with cannibals. And it's called Bone Tomahawk because they have tomahawks that are made of bone and they throw them at people. Yeah. So, uh, also, oh, what's that guy? Matthew Fox mm-hmm. is in it as well. He plays this like fancy man. And the, the woman that plays Patrick Wilson's wife, I, I thought at first that it was Blake Lively, but it was actually so, sort of like discount Blake Lively. <laughs> I don't, she sort I don't of know who looks was. like her, but not isn't really her. And what, what was cool is that Patrick Wilson's character, his wife's the talent. Well, she's a town doctor. The town doctor, I guess, was too drunk, so she fills in sometimes for him. And so she gets kidnapped, and he goes out to rescue her, except he had broken his tibia in an accident like a couple weeks before. So when he starts out the movie, he's got his leg like in this splint, and he can barely, he can't walk very well. He's got a crutch and everything. And they pretty much have to leave him behind after a certain point because his leg injury has gotten so bad. It needs to heal. He needs to rest and heal. He shouldn't be walking out in the mm-hmm. middle of the plains trying to rescue his wife. But, you know, that's what you do when your wife gets kidnapped. I would do the same thing. You do that for me? Yeah. Aww. And, uh, you know, I just would hope there were no cannibals. But if there were, <laughs> we would we would deal with it. But they, they do eventually have to just sort of leave him behind uh, because he can't function. And he's just going to slow him down. But he still continues going on after they leave him and he becomes the hero of the movie at the end. He and Kurt Russell are the hero of the movie. Although cool. it did annoy us a little bit because it's clear that there are maybe a few more cannibals that are around. They're very low on ammunition and they just need to get out of there, but they decide to have these sort of long conversations with each other and just sort of stand around. It's like, you people, get your asses out of here. <laughs> it's like when we watch horror movies and I'm yelling at them like, don't stand there. Don't look at that. Just go. <laughs> you realize that if you just go, everybody lives, right? Yeah, right. It was an interesting movie. Uh, one that I'd wanted to see because Kurt Russell was in it and he's always good in a Western. Yeah, oh, kind of a weird uh, off the beaten path type of movie. And They shot it in like 21 days or something. And the budget was just like a $1.3 or $1.8 million or something like that. It was it was interesting. So, anything else for the podcast this week? I think I'm good. We wow, covered this, a lot. This we covered a lot, uh, and we covered it pretty well. And I people think. are probably tired of hearing us talk. So I we'll would let imagine them have so. A break. So it probably is time to just go ahead and let this one go. See that going in the wind? That's us letting it go, <laughs> letting this podcast go like a big red balloon. That'll do it for this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Statomatty S T A T O M A T T Y at Statomatty. Drop me an email, matt at mattadamswriter.com, matt at mattadamswriter.com, and Anne, where can the people find you? Wherever Matt is. Or also as an alternate answer, Cuddling Howard. That's true. I will be also wherever Howard is. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) Thank you.